0: Welcome back to Sundown Sounds. We're here to slick your slide into the nighttime with smooth grooves and laid-back talkback all about Sydney, that supreme seaside city of the South. (laughs) Okay, I can see we've got another caller on the line. Go ahead, Sydney Sider. Oh, well, first of all, if you if you live in Sydney, you can go
1: shove it up yourself. What? Second thi- of all, you guys were so whingy, what? you couldn't even let us just be happy what? and be the capital. We were going to be capital. Excuse Everyone wants to be capital except you. What? And then and then we had to have Canberra. That, like who no. likes Canberra what? except Parliament? What's wrong
0: with Canberra? No one likes Canberra. That's the capital of Australia, How Everyone can... likes Melbourne except Sydney. Oh, God. Sydney, they oh. used a whole bunch of bastards. What do you call the ambulance? I think i
1: The only good thing to come out of Sydney is the Millennial Highway. I think that's what it's called.
0: I think I'm having a heart attack here.
1: And it leads oh, right to Melbourne. That's the only good I'm thing having about a heart it. A heavy oh, oh. be laser beam. Oh. <laughs>
0: It's the Commonwealth of Dunces, with me, Jump Daddy, a.k.a. J.D. Addy, alongside my dear cousin and co-host for Lancy Sterling. And today, Val, I can say I've finally done it. After years and years of an on-again and off-again relationship, I've left her. I've moved up, and I've moved out from my hometown, Sydney. Sydney. So now, I want you to give it to me straight. After years of biting your tongue as a Melburnian, tell me, and tell me the truth this time. What do you really think of her?
2: Ah, JD, thanks for asking. I've always thought of Sydney as somewhere that has really strong contrasts between the parts that are beautiful and very privileged and then the parts that are hidden away further out, not near the harbour, not where visitors go. Um, My impression is it's a hard city to live in if you don't have money and definitely because it's had it easy in terms of being the first city, the biggest city, the city with an obvious beauty, it hasn't had to work hard to develop itself culturally and so there's a thing about Sydney where yeah it's really obvious it's kind of brash it feels like it hasn't had to develop its depth I mean frankly it has better weather than Melbourne so it doesn't have to think of lots of things that you might do to entertain yourselves inside or when it's cold (laughs) You could just go to the beach or the harbour or do things. And so it feels very, uh, for a Melbourneite, it feels very unsophisticated in that way. Just pushing even deeper into it, I've often wondered whether the harbour as this massive feature of Sydney replaces a heart. (laughs) And it's like the harbour is a symbol to me in my head of the fact that that sydney has no soul that it's empty in the middle or you could really go very deep and say it's 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 heart of darkness it's the source is it the source of all that's wrong with sydney in the sense of that massive gap between rich and poor or the unsophisticated brash Kind of worshipping of having a gorgeous harbour front property versus everybody else. Whereas a city like Melbourne, its heart is a CBD that everything interconnects through. It is easier to get to place from place to place and it's less divided than Sydney is because we don't have a harbour in the middle and there's lots of little woven interconnections between all of Melbourne's suburbs. And it's cold, it's dark We have no gorgeous harbour And so we've had to work pretty hard At making ourselves have a rich cultural And sporting and kind of everyday life I mean this is pre-pandemic Like nothing's happening now But yeah, so you know You asked asked a question, I've answered Woo!
0: (laughs) Answer the question you did And look, I can't say I disagree with much of that I've always had a pretty ambivalent relationship with Sydney. I grew up middle class in a very well-to-do suburb on what's called the North Shore. That's in the coastal eastern half of the city. It's safe, it's beautiful, it's got great access to the harbour. But as I wasn't a private school student with designs on joining the Yacht Club, I've always felt a bit estranged from life there. And now that I've moved away, I can't say I miss it too much. But, of course, in a city of some five million people, my story is just one of many, many, many. Our next guest is the Sydney-based artist, JD Reformer. This JD grew up in the southwest of Sydney away from the harbour, but certainly not immune to the allure as well as the apprehension that radiates from there. JD's the son of Filipino immigrants and he's made his own way through the very photogenic, if sometimes soulless city of our childhood. It's a place where a colonial past continues to define a multicultural present.
1: For me, it's most pronounced with people from the North Shore, but I think across Sydney, everybody is very obsessed with where you went to high school, and it's always something that comes up in conversation. And it's really just about trying to place you.
0: Absolutely. I used to ask it all the time and think it was some sort of sophisticated way of getting a sense of people's ethnic and, you know, even quote-unquote class background. But reflecting on it, it's such a vulgar question. It's so
1: (laughs) vulgar. I went to a school in the city, but not necessarily like a private school that you would immediately think of. Like most of the boys at my school didn't grow up in the city. Their parents were often like working class or... People would always ask you what high school you went to, and I I would just say I went to school in the city, and then that would kind of be enough for people. But then there were others who would be like, oh, did you go to grammar, or did you go to St. Andrews, or...
0: I want to know how rich you are.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's like, did you get dropped off at the gate? Just tell me, answer that. It kind of became a way to escape more intrusive questions about my family's financial standing, I guess, just to say, like, I went to the school in the city.
0: What push or pull do you feel as a queer artist of colour, as a gay Asian man, Mm. to that Sydney as a world centre gay and lesbian Mardi Gras?
1: It's definitely a push-pull. I think, like, certainly in my early to, like, even late 20s, I was very, you know, I would probably describe myself as someone who was, like, consumed by... Shame and self hatred, and I would sublimate that by aspiring to any kind of white masculinity that I could achieve, whether that was in my partners or in my work, in my dress, in my vocal affectations, in my friendships. So I would say that like for a majority of my 20s, I really sought to kind of be accepted and visible in that space and make myself visible, even though I just really did not enjoy it at all. And it was probably only like in my late 20s when I started to engage more with Parties that were run by queer people of colour, which were less centred in the eastern suburbs of Sydney and tended to take place out in the inner western suburbs. So, like, a lot of, like, Red Rattler parties and Club Mints parties, Kooky, all of these kinds of events and communities of people around these events. I think I felt a greater sense of freedom, a freedom to explore... I think both masculine and feminine elements of my identity certainly felt less conspicuous in that it was a much more diverse and representative community of people there diverse in the sense of race and gender and and age actually as well
0: I think so much of the energy in Sydney as compared to say Australia's other major city Melbourne is really really concentrated on the physical reality of the harbor of waterfront property of the work that enables the income that then enables the residents in really only a very limited number of suburbs and once you're there you've made it and there's not much more cultural currency required to be within the upper echelons of sydney society and I think as somebody who grew up proximate to some of those suburbs, I never really felt that that was an aspiration that I either wanted to pursue further or even to necessarily maintain. And it's interesting hearing from somebody like yourself, who I suppose grows up with that as the conscious or unconscious fact of success in Sydney. But then once it becomes an adult reality and you have a bit of a choice, realizing that there's another option.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I totally, I think I would agree with that assessment. I think, like, I only really became very conscious of my otherness when I began dating and sort of, like, became sexually active because it became so much about my Asian-ness, whether that was something that was, like, exoticized or fetishized or rejected and made invisible it was kind of like my sexual desirability sort of existed at opposite ends of a spectrum and that's sort of like when I kind of like critically started to look at how the journey of my personal identity sort of arrived at this point and how that was related to where I lived where I came from my cultural and ethnic descent. And yeah, I think it's probably just when I started to unpack it a bit more and try and incorporate it more into my practice.
0: A artwork that is <laughs> quite upfront about that is Diaspora Bingo. Um, <laughs> yeah. Can you give a quick description about what that was and what it looked like and how it worked?
1: Sure. This is probably common for any member of any diaspora. Had like a mental list, kept a mental list throughout my life of all of the kind of slurs or perceptions or projections and understandings of my identity that I'd received or projected in my life and and kind of like worked them into sort of short, easy to understand phrases like you're a coconut. What context would somebody say that to you? What does that mean? A coconut is someone who's brown on the outside and white on the inside. And yes, I think I like I was often called a coconut. Who would call you that? Other Filipinos would call me a coconut. And I think that was just related to like the way that I spoke or the way that I dressed. I didn't have many Filipino friends in high school. I tended to, I don't know why, have more sort of white friends. And I I think I was like more socially rejected by the Filipino group in my high school. So I kind of gravitated to whatever the opposite was. And for that, I was kind of called a coconut, like a race trader or something. (laughs) It's a pejorative in the sense that, you know, you're denied this sort of sense of authenticity of being like a true Filipino, whatever that is. It can feel like a compliment as well sometimes because, you know, as the child of immigrants who have worked their entire lives to assimilate you into the culture, into the dominant culture, then it feels like a recognition of that lifelong endeavor of theirs for you to be this like white passing person, I guess. So, I don't know. I think it's sort of complex, but basically it's brown on the outside, white on the inside.
0: What about Yorso, and apologies if I mispronounce pronounce this, Yorso Maganda? That's pretty good. That's
1: pretty good. You'll say Maganda is well Maganda translate as translates as beautiful. Ah. Yeah, it's like beautiful, good, nice, like Maganda Maga would be like beautiful evening. So Maganda is most often used to like describe like someone's physical beauty. And it's something that I kind of became aware of more through my sisters or even my mum, and it was usually, like, compliments they would receive, like, from white men. It was a way of complimenting them and showing that they kind of have, like, a level of grasp of the language, but at the same time it kind of betrays in that person a sense that they will only engage with the culture insofar as it benefits them. So, yeah, it's kind of like uncomfortable. It's just like, you know, you receive a compliment from someone. They've only learned the part of the language that they hope they can attract you with. It was it was about being and feeling objectified by the white gaze. Sorry. Yeah, that was like a really long roundabout way of saying that.
0: A long roundabout way of saying that probably the only word that George Christensen knows in Tagalog is Maganda. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Do you have a favourite line from that diaspora bingo? Maybe like half Spanish is quite funny to me.
1: There is a very complicated rela- I think, oh, complicated relationship to all of our colonisers and occupiers, but particularly Spain. I think in the Philippines and in Filipinos, there is a kind of reverence for that, that lineage. And it's a bit weird. I don't know exactly how to characterize it. My, I think in myself and in my sisters and my family came from my father who would, and I don't know if this is true or not, but he would say that his grandfather was Spanish. And so he would claim to be half Spanish, like quarter Spanish. And then we would just claim it because it felt like a more, I don't know, like acceptable and it made us sort of like racially more appealing to people. And there's also like a fetishization of Eurasian beauty, which if you are socially and sexually rejected or exoticized, then being able to claim the power, the privilege that comes with Eurasian beauty is really appealing.
0: On that notion of Eurasian beauty, one of the things I found quite striking uh, when, say, considering the media in countries like the Philippines or indeed Indonesia and elsewhere, is that compared to the general populace, the people, particularly on TV, there's a really high incidence of people of Eurasian descent in a country that 98% of the population simply would not reflect.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would say that like 98% of like media personalities in the Philippines are. I mean, essentially imported from Australia and America or anywhere where Eurasians exist and can be imported from. I think that a lot of that descends from the beauty of Imelda Marcos, who, for those who don't know, was the wife of uh, the Filipino president Ferdinand Marcos. Money lily really was no object for the Marcos family during its years in power. As these bills from the Italian couturier Valentino suggest, Imelda Marcos thought nothing of spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on her wardrobe. But it was in the Manila Palace, home of Ferdinand and
2: Imelda Marcos, that literally no expense was spared.
1: Imelda was like particularly famed for her beauty. She's actually a former beauty queen. But not... She was crowned, like, Miss Manila, which was actually, like, a title that was given to her by the mayor of Manila as a consolation for not being crowned Miss Philippines. She kind of, like, demanded it of him because she was so upset at the loss, which I find very, very endearing and an interesting quality. Yeah,
0: get that cake, girl. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I know. She's like, actually, you've made a huge mistake. (laughs) Um, So... You know, being the figure that she was, and obviously, like, the infamy of the Marcuses is very, like, globally known and understood. I think also Imelda's personality, beauty, her, have really impacted an entire generation of Filipino women. For better or worse.
0: There are quite a lot of echoes of, say, the, the mix-up in prize-giving was, say, the 2015 Miss Universe competition <laughs> where the Filipina entrant, Pia Alonso Wurtzbach, there's a great Eurasian name for you,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, was eventually revealed to be the winner after another nation's contestant had mistakenly been mm-hmm. announced as such. And the the host was of course Steve Harvey, <laughs> the famed African American comedian who's known for gurning at prime time when people on the US version of Family Feud, you know, say a naughty word, and he just looks at the camera and is, shrugs his shoulders. And-
1: he is like a he's like a picture you can hear. Like I just yes. know
0: exactly. <laughs> so Steve asked the eventual Filipina winner. Earlier this year, there was a controversy in the Philippines about the United States reopening a military base in your country. Do you think the United States should have a military presence in your country? I think that the United States and the Philippines have has always had a good relationship with each other. We were colonized by the Americans, and we're. We have their culture in our traditions even up to this day and I think that we're very welcoming with the Americans and I don't see any problem with that at all.
1: I think it was (laughs) the perfect (laughs) answer. Not because it was just diplomatic and full of poise but also because it communicates in a very real and authentic way the the way that Filipinos are educated about their colonial pasts.
0: If Miss Universe is the epitome of a certain universal, very much grounded in Western or even American conceptions of uh-huh. female beauty and poise and diplomacy, professional round. Uh-huh. Now that I have left my hometown of Sydney, now that I look back uh, at it from a distance of some few hundred kilometres, who have I left behind in a metaphysical sense? Who would be Miss... Sydney. Is there a persona, real or imagined, (laughs) who Um, sums up the Emerald City? The Emerald City. Oh my God.
1: (laughs) I mean, like, Benji Ra is pretty fantastic. And for me, she occupies a real centre of thought in Sydney right now. For those who don't know her, Benji Ra is... A performer, dancer, artist. She is like the mother of House of Slay, just kind of like the founder of ballroom culture in Australia. And she is half Filipino, half Australian. And yeah, I think that she would be a great Miss Sydney.
0: Very cool. Okay, well, I think you've made a call there, JD, that you can never resile from now. The oh my God. <laughs> future... Miss Sydney, the ideal of all that Australia's biggest and oldest Sydney has oh to offer God, is embodied in the wonderful Benji Bra. <laughs> As we finish up JD, are there any other initiatives of yours that you've got coming up that you want to let the world know all about?
1: I am going to be a finalist in the John Frye's prize opening in September and i'm looking forward to my first solo at a commercial gallery towards the end of this year as well
0: cool all right uh what would be your i don't know philo southwestern sydney sign off how do you
1: oh my god <laughs> <laughs> i'm so modified i don't think i have
0: one babe <laughs> <laughs> that's fine okay well we'll simply say thank you to st quentin uh super producer and it's, it's goodbye from me and goodbye from... J.D. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Pretty much from the minute that Benji could walk, she was singing, dancing, playing with expression and performance. Uh, and as her big sister, or as we say in Tagalog, her ate, it was kind of second nature for me to create spaces for the both of us to escape into. So our lounge room was our stage, but also our cocoon. We'd play dress-ups, put on shows. We made music videos. I used to choreograph the dancers. Times have changed.
1: And now I'd now like to introduce my very special guest.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, Madame Imelda Marcos.
0: If the sun should tumble from the sky If the seas should
2: suddenly run dry If you love me, truly love me Let it happen, I don't care If it seems that everything is lost I will smile and never count the cost. If you love me, truly love me, let it
0: happen, darling, I won't care. Now boarding, the
1: Commonwealth of Dunstan.